Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, Bond, James Bond. It is Bowerly on News Radio 930 WBEN. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today on the radio. Great to have you uh, with us because uh, we, after all, are in a relationship and have been for many, many years. The uh, talk show host and listener relationship, obviously a very vital part of talk radio. And, uh, you know, what, what I find interesting is doing this for a living for as long as I have, Sometimes it's very easy for stories halfway around the world that are huge to the people halfway around the world um, don't really have much resonance here in western New York. And I have not found that to be the case with the situation between Hamas and Israel. Now, most of the people I know who have, uh, shall we say, vested interest over there in terms of people they know and love, most of those uh, folks are Jewish Israelis. But that's not to say that other people don't have vested interest in what is going on over there uh, as well. Now, I've put out calls today to Congressman Nick Langworthy and uh, Congressman Brian Higgins, and both of those gentlemen are welcome to join us at any time they able to do. Obviously, there's a lot going on in Washington with the uh, Speaker of the House situation and a million other things. So if at all possible, uh, we will get both uh, Congressman Langworthy and Congressman Higgins on the air. And uh, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, he might get Congressman Higgins on. That's just further evidence that WBEN has gone to the left. Um, actually, uh, not true. Uh, repeatedly, I mean, look, my, my politics are pretty much what they've been my entire life, but I'm going to tell you that uh, the disagreements that I've had uh, over the years with Brian Higgins, they've been political disagreements, and there's been no um, a personal component to it for quite some time, and uh, there there will not be. Uh, I found him to be a gentleman. We've spoken off the air. He's always kept confidences, and uh, I value what he has to say. I value what Nick Langworthy has to say and other people who are uh, in the know, just as I valued greatly what David Bellavia had to say yesterday when he was on uh, our program in uh, the afternoon. Now, one of the individuals I was supposed to have had on today, and I'm not going to name this individual, um, is a local person I know very well who basically was in Israel when all heck started breaking loose over the weekend. And it was a very scary situation for this individual and the family of this individual. And this is someone about whom I care very, very deeply. And somebody else with whom I spoke today actually is a physician and had family members in Israel. And uh, one of his, I mean, it's a very long and convoluted story, so I'll try to tell it in as linear a fashion as possible. Uh, This individual basically 
was forced to rent a private aircraft to get them out of Israel because they did not feel safe where they were, and they just wanted to get the heck out of that, even if it meant maxing out every credit card they had. You cannot put a price on human limbs, life, and and safety. So this is a situation, and I'd like to talk about this today, and I guess one of my problems, my friends, is that uh, I don't know exactly how many people listening to the show um, th- can relate to these kinds of stories. In other words, trying desperately to escape from a zone of war, a, a zone of horrible conflict that is uh, going on in the region. You may have family members in Israel. Uh, you may have younger family members in Israel. You may have older family members uh, who are in Israel. You might have some people in your family who left the United States or some third country um, under the laws of return for Israel uh, in order to become Israeli citizens. Um, this is something that hits, I think, a lot of people uh, very close to home. And you also may have uh, Palestinian relatives uh, for whom this is hitting very, very close to home. Um, what is the answer? Uh, I, I don't know. On this one, honestly, I don't know. I mean, some of the general precepts of an answer are when you have an aggressor, uh, the more you don't deal with the aggressor and you let the, uh, you let the uh, aggression to fester and metastasize, the greater an issue it is down the road. So it's best to take care of it immediately. And oftentimes the example of Munich in 1938 is brought up in these discussions of geopolitical crises that take place. And what that is all about, for those who don't know, uh, back in 1938 uh, there were some They were trying to figure out what was going to happen in Europe because Hitler was, as you know, uh, insane. At that point in his life, he was craftily insane, but he was bound and determined to take over uh, Europe. So what happened was uh, they basically, uh, between Nazi Germany and fascist Italy and France and the U.K., they basically made up plans to give up part of Czechoslovakia, the Sudetenland, to the Nazis. And, of course, Hitler said, well, this is my last territorial demand in Europe. I've got nothing else that I want on the table. And then before you knew it, uh, just like a chop of salami, a chop of salami, a chop of salami, before you knew it, uh, the Nazis had uh, taken over most of uh, Czechoslovakia, including the part of Czechoslovakia with the Skoda works, which were very, very important uh, in terms of munitions manufacturing. So the bottom line is when somebody talks about appeasement and appeasement simply makes aggressors more aggressive, there is some historical precedence for that. And looking past those kinds of macro events, think about in your own life, the micro events that have happened. Uh, And you know, perhaps from being a bullied in the playground or bullied on the school bus that the longer the aggressor is allowed to be aggressive without being checked, the more likely it is that the aggressor is going to become more aggressive. So when you hear any references made to Munich in the context of what is going on between Israel and Hamas, that is partially what they are talking about when they talk about Munich. Uh, In fact, 
uh, one of the movies about which uh, you've heard me talk uh, at great length in uh, various weeks uh, leading up to this situation currently in the Middle East um, is the, the Cuban Missile Crisis and the movie 13 Days. And that was a great illustration of the mindset, the uh, zeitgeist, the spirit of the times, if you will, of the early 1960s. Uh, didn't anybody learn anything from Munich? And what was interesting is that President Kennedy's father was actually one of the architects of the appeasement policy and a big fan of Neville Chamberlain, who was instrumental in uh, bringing that failed policy uh, to fruition. And later on in life, President Kennedy and his brother, the Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, um, they faced criticism over uh, whether appeasement or weakness ran in families. And there was uh, a great deal of concern. And, and this goes beyond the movie. This is on white, official White House recordings. Uh, this goes beyond the movie. Um, there were people who believed that uh, the Kennedys did not have the moral fiber or the toughness to stand up to the Soviet Union. And as a result, uh, we were going to be forced into making trade after trade after trade until finally uh, the Soviets would do something for which we would not trade. And then we would certainly find ourselves embroiled in World War III. And I, I reference that movie because, you know, when you, when you look at events, folks, and one of the things I think you'll uh, find as you listen to this show and as you listen to David Bellavia's show as well, because um, David and I are both very, very much into history. David has the added advantage of having been a combat veteran. David has the advantage of being a Medal of Honor recipient. He has put his courage on display before the entire world, and he understands what it is like to be in combat. And he talked today about being in combat being like you get ready, and then you wait, and then you wait some more, and then you wait some more, and then you wait again, and then you have a cigarette, and you wait some more. And he really puts you in the picture of what it is like in a situation like that, like I think very, very few people are uh, are able to do. See, for me, I can watch documentaries about it, and I can read books about it, and I can try to understand it as best I can vicariously through the words of other people. But with David, um, he's been there, he's done that, and he has actually, uh, obviously, he's actually lived it. And I'm very, look, I'm very concerned about this situation in Israel. I don't like to see innocent people hurt uh, in any way, shape, or form. And I don't care whether they're Jews, whether they're Muslims, whether they're Israelis, whether they're Palestinians. I don't like to see innocent people um, pay the price and suffer the consequences for decisions made by people who might not be that innocent or might not actually have their own best interest at heart. Um, I'm wondering today on the program, and again, folks, uh, I've been working the phones uh, all, <laughs> all morning long, and I thought for sure uh, that we were going to have an individual on the program 
whose uh, family uh, was able to just get out in the nick of time of basically a zone of war. And I'm hoping that we're able to get Congressman uh, Higgins and Congressman Langworthy on the program. And look, both of those individuals are going to be treated with respect. And uh, Brian Higgins knows that he comes on this show. It's not some kind of an ambush situation. It's not, hey, let's get Brian on the show and see if we can't uh, embarrass him or make a fool. It just it doesn't work that way with Brian uh, and myself. It doesn't work that way with Byron and myself. It doesn't matter that we don't share a lot of the same political views. All right. We just try our best to get information out there to you and to be as fair as possible. But uh, excuse me, I must take a sip of my water here. Mm. Now, this is a mystery flavored. Uh, oh, some kind of a, a blueberry concoction today. OK, I'll take that. So anyway, uh, getting back to it. I wonder how many of you right now have family in harm's way over there and how are you able to keep in touch? Have you been able to keep in touch? What is the, and I'm not trying to uh, diminish the importance of it in any way, shape, or form, but unfortunately it is a truism that in a war zone there is a pucker factor. Uh, and, hey, we saw that in Iran. Do you remember when there was great concern among the Iranian military that the United States was going to launch an attack against Tehran uh, for something the Iranians had done? And it was thought that uh, the United States or uh, one of its uh, proxy nations over there had, uh, uh, had flown a sortie over... Uh, an airstrip, and as a result of that miscalculation, the Iranians shot down a civilian jetliner. And I might also add, the pucker factor is not something that is exclusive to the Iranians or people who are Muslim. We also, in the United States, we took down a civilian airliner back in the 1980s. It was an Iranian airliner. And our guys made a tragic miscalculation whether there was whether there were radio issues or not on the civilian airliner. I don't know. But the bottom line is uh, the Iranians accidentally shot down a civilian airliner within relatively recent memory. And the United States back in the 1980s shot down a civilian airliner because of the pucker factor, because things were moving too fast. Things were moving so furiously, and nobody wanted to be caught flat-footed. And uh, obviously, this is uh, one of the great areas of consternation that I think many of us have. Uh, it's it's not just the the battle. It's not just the uh, – David uh, talks about this uh, a lot, and it's a great expression. Um, it's not just the kinetic warfare. It's also the – thinking that goes into um, how you defend yourself, how you launch offensive situations, how you defend yourself against offensive situations. And uh, obviously, the more tense a situation is, the greater the pucker factor uh, happens to be. Like when the Iranians shot down that civilian airliner a few years back, had that airliner been flying at any other time, pretty much in any other place, 
chances are very strong that those people would still be alive today. But because there was panic in the air and nobody wanted to be caught in a use them or lose them situation when it comes to uh, defensive uh, surface-to-air missiles, uh, they decided to uh, to launch. And tragically, they launched on an airliner that was filled with uh, innocent civilians. Now, I wonder how many of you listening to my voice right now have people in your life who are maybe vacationing in Israel, who are living in Israel. In fact, didn't we have a uh, an Amherst council member? Didn't Bill Kendall, um, under the law of return, as a Jew, didn't he take advantage of that to move to Israel? I'm thinking maybe five years ago, give or take a couple. Uh, but look, many of you have family in Israel. Uh, and again, some of you may be Jews, some of you may be Muslim, some of you may be nothing in particular, but have a strong fondness for and an affinity uh, for the land that makes up uh, the Jewish state. The uh, phone number on uh, WBEN, and, and I'm, I, I hate to tell you this, but this is one of those situations where I wish I could tell you that I knew uh, so-and-so or I had a cousin so-and-so who was in Israel near the combat zone, but for good or for ill, I don't happen to have that. But chances are excellent in this audience, those of you listening, some of you, this this is a very personal story. This goes well beyond the news, and this goes into your life. And one of the people that I was supposed to have on today is still they're they're safe and they're sound but they are still so shaken up by what they experienced that they simply were not able to come on the air today and of course we totally and completely respect that why wouldn't we what kind of savages would we be if we were to uh, mock or in some way uh, make light of the fact that somebody who had just been through a life-changing and life-endangering situation uh, wouldn't come on a stupid radio show. That would make us seem pretty tiny and and pretty small, so we're not swimming in that poop, believe me. Uh, 803-0930, do you have a family or personal connection to what is going on right now with Israel? How closely are you following this? And I will waive uh, for today the once-a-week calling rule because uh, I know Rambo Jim called in yesterday, and I also know that this is right up Rambo Jim's alley talking about stuff like this. So uh, especially for Rambo Jim, but for anybody who called in yesterday, I'm going to waive the once-a-week rule. That's a call that I get to make as the host of the show. So I've decided to make that call today, and I hope it's okay with you guys. It's uh, Bowerly Loves on News Radio 930 WBEN. Phone number is 803 803- 0930, star 930 on the cell phone, and 1-800-616-WBEN. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Barry McGuire, and, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't play that gratuitously to try to make light of uh, any situation that is happening right now, but the uh, fact of the matter is that um, history, my opinion, tends to be cyclical. Music uh, as an adjunct to popular culture is a reflection of tumultuous times, and the fact that that song is almost as relevant now as it was back when it was released in the 1960s is both um, troubling and educational. Uh, those of you who have family over in the uh, region of war, uh, what are you hearing from your family? I cannot imagine uh, the tension under which you must find yourselves. And again, uh, I don't want to be too detailed about this, but one of the people uh, I was supposed to have on the program today uh, just got out of Israel um, pretty much the last possible opportunity on a commercial airline flight. And, and this individual is a strong individual. This is not somebody who needs a safety room, okay? This is somebody who is a very strong, capable individual. But this individual is obviously shaken up. And there is somebody else that I don't know directly, but I know through a uh, physician friend who basically could not get a commercial flight out of Israel and uh, found themselves in a situation where they had to rent an aircraft in order to get away. And I don't think that those people are unique amongst the number of people who might be listening to this show or people uh, I might know or you might know who, for whom this story, it isn't just, oh, well, somewhere around the world something is happening and it's affecting a whole bunch of people, but it's affecting you here in, in western New York. Uh, I would love to know how your friends and family in Israel, whatever persuasion you happen to be, are are holding up and are bearing up under uh, this situation. And taking this uh, a few steps further, you know, we, we talked just last week about uh, that whole duck and cover and fallout shelters and remember the emergency alert system test and we ended up doing about a three-hour show on that if you will remember and uh, made reference to the fact that here in the United States we don't really have anything like a civil defense system those old um, fallout shelter signs. Good luck finding one of those because you won't. And even if you found a fallout shelter, I assure you that any cheese or crackers or water they put into those things in 1953, you know, when Stalin died, uh, are probably no good now. And you you might remember some of the stories with which people called to uh, talk about touring, for example, the sub-basement of Buffalo City Hall. And here we are, less than a week later, and we're talking about situations involving civil defense, this time in Israel, but in a very real situation. And uh, getting back to something about which we spoke yesterday, and I'm hoping that we have people who uh, are able to talk about this with a greater degree of expertise than am I. Those of you who uh, might have worked uh, the cloak and dagger side of things, the... Uh, uh, 
the uh, Intel side of things. One of the things, uh, one of the issues that is bothering me tremendously, it's been bothering me since the attacks commenced and it continues to bother me, is what I don't understand, and maybe you would have an explanation that makes sense for me, is the Israeli intelligence people, Mossad, they are among the very finest intelligence services in the world. They've got their tentacles everywhere. They have informants everywhere. They have people on the payroll everywhere, okay? They are very, very, very good at what they do. And I'm having a very difficult time reconciling how such uh, an institution like Mossad can absolutely drop the ball, not just drop the ball, but drop it right on their kneecaps and ankles when analyzing the various bits and chunks of intel that were coming in. And there are so many things that come to mind, and I'd love to hear from those of you who um, maybe professionally did it for a while as part of your military or government service career who can actually talk about this stuff. Use use one of your voice uh, scramblers. Uh, at least that way you'll get your point out. But in, in all in all seriousness, because this is is serious business, it what what really concerns me is and look, this is only speculation. This is not established fact. This is only speculation. And we talked about this yesterday with David Bellavia. Uh, we talked about it to a lesser degree with Congressman Nick Langworthy. But what I find very troubling is what if you had a situation where Mossad had information indicating that these attacks were, in fact, going to take place and for reasons that you and I might not be able to understand, they did not share as much information as they should have with the commander-in-chief of the uh, Israeli military, with uh, uh, Netanyahu. Uh, Are are there such high um, tensions within Israeli politics that people in Mossad would actually put the future of the Jewish state at risk by allowing this kind of an attack to take place and actually get underway. Um, Because to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, okay, everything I know about the uh, world of intelligence comes to me from conversations I've had with people who were part of that world, reading I've done about that part uh, of the world, that is to say, uh, intel, various technologies that are now used in intelligence gathering, Um, so in other words, you might have a better scope and breadth of knowledge than I do. And if you served, I'm sure you do. Uh, there's some things of which I'm very good, some things that I, about which I don't know an awful lot about, but, um, everything today, well, not everything, but let's just go back. Do you remember last week and the way these things tie together sometimes I find, um, amazing and a little bit freaky at times, but last week, Uh, we got into a conversation about, well, how would you uh, declare war? How would you have a war against the United States? And somebody called in and said, well, I think the Chinese are going to attack us. They're going to attack us on the East Coast. They're going to attack us on the Pacific Coast. And to me, it was a very unrealistic scenario because we have um, sonar 
set up. We have a sonar array and net set up around the perimeter of the continental United States that would be very hard for enemy uh, submarines, for example, to penetrate without being detected. And even before enemy submarines would even come anywhere close to that line, the satellites that we have would easily detect a buildup of troops, of logistical support, um, even things like railroad uh, uh, delays. And if you've got, for example, around a military encampment in China, let's just assume here, uh, you had a sudden cessation of commercial rail traffic and its substitution by military traffic, do you think that wouldn't raise just a few alarm bells at CIA or NSA? And you think they might not be calling their friends at Spa War and DARPA saying, hey, we need some clearer, sharper resolution photographs of this. Um, so the idea of a Pearl Harbor-like attack happening again to the United States, is it always a possibility? Yeah, of course it's always a possibility. But do our intelligence capabilities make that a less likely scenario? In my opinion, they do. And they do because you lose the element of surprise. A big factor in the relative success of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on Sunday, December 7, 1941, was the surprise factor. And those of you who've seen the movie, Tora, 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 or as the uh, pilot Fushida says in the movie, Toya, 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 um, that meant that the Japanese had achieved complete surprise coming in from the west and going over Pearl Harbor and bringing about the destruction of so many of our naval vessels, not the aircraft carriers, thank goodness, and most importantly, about 3,000 of our military personnel, not to mention an unknown number of civilian casualties who were not only killed by the Japanese uh, bombers, torpedo planes, and Zeros, but were also killed by um, the anti-aircraft fire. What goes up must come down, and unfortunately, uh, in the case of Hawaii, a lot of the rounds that we sent up to try to take down the Japanese planes didn't hit the planes, but they did come down in Honolulu, and one particularly gruesome story involved a family of five in one car, and they were all taken out by a tragic and obviously unintentional direct hit by uh, munitions on the vehicle in, in, in which they uh, happened to be in. But as far as the surprise, I just want to get back to this nature, and I'm going to take another sip of my beverage, excuse me. But uh, one, of the other, uh, one of the other things uh, with uh, surprise, just getting back to that for a moment, is, um, I, I don't know, is, are, are you as confused by this as I am? Because there is no conceivable way. Remember we, we talked to David Bellavia about this yesterday? I mean, he's a Medal of Honor recipient. He kind of knows what he's talking about when it comes to the military and intel. And we spoke with Congressman Nick Langworthy yesterday about this. It, it, it's very disconcerting to me to imagine any scenario under which Israeli intelligence caught wind of what was about to happen and for whatever reason, did not pass it up the chain of command. Who would benefit from such a move? Why would anybody, 
why would anybody do that? Is is Netanyahu that despised that you be willing to put the lives of thousands of Israeli men, women, and children on the line in order to make a political point to help bring down a government? I mean, that's not the way most of us think. It certainly isn't the way I think. You've got to be on the same team when you are defending your nation against people who want to drive it into the sea. Um, I'm very concerned about what happened with Israeli intelligence, and I'll I'll tell you something else. I'm going to back that up. I also am concerned about American intelligence because, you know, there, there would be some redundancy. There certainly is a lot of cooperation between Mossad, CIA, NSA, and all of our alphabet soup agencies. Um, and how would it be possible that our intelligence experts and the Israeli intelligence experts simultaneously could miss the electronic communications, could miss the buildup and amassing of the materials needed for an assault um, I, I find that to be very, very troubling, and I want answers about that. I don't know if uh, I'm pounding the wrong drum, but I'd like your thought on this. 803-0930, star 930 on the cell phone, and 1-800-616-WBEN. I mean, we have people, your friends and neighbors in Buffalo, who uh, are just back from Israel, and many of them are shaking and quaking in their boots because they weren't sure they were going to make it out. And that makes an international story very, very local, especially when you know some of the people who have experienced it. And again, I am waving my one call per uh, my my one call per week per caller rule for today, especially with uh, Rambo Jim in mind, because I know that this is um, right up uh, his alley. So why would I not let? Uh, yeah, why would I not let uh, Jim on? Let's go to uh, Rich in uh, Buffalo on WBEN. Rich, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, okay. I've done uh, I've, I've done a lot of talking, and it's your turn now.
the 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 intel on the street. Uh, we, you know, we find it hard to uh, to solve crimes. There aren't these relationships. We don't have anybody even covertly embedded in communities to find out who is doing all this killing and so on. So this is across the board. It's going all the way up. And and well, and if, I think if we the did, fashion, you know, my dear, uh, my, my dear friend, says, yeah, it's it's not happening. My, my my dear friend, if we did have people who were embedded as uh, CIs within various terrorist organizations, we wouldn't know about it, would we? Because they would keep that under wraps for the safety and security uh, of the operative. That yes, except for the fact that it's been widely reported that we do not have the kind of they call human tell that we we used to have. Well, that's and, what they and say. And we're relying increasingly on cyber and devices, on satellites, on all of these things. And what happened, according to this analyst, uh, and I couldn't describe the the all of the uh, various systems that Israel has been uh, adopting in terms of technology um, but they said that that uh, they've taken their eye off the ball and they've increased you know they've used these these systems as opposed to the, the hard uh, on the ground boots on the ground intelligence uh, and then just paying attention to these signs and signals that are going on and uh, I mean, in this, I'd the, like to talk yeah, to you, my ahead. friend, my dear friend. I'd like to talk to you further about this after the news at three. So I'm going to put you on hold on uh, WBEN. Um, one of the things, and I believe this actually came up last week when we we're talking about the United States and China. Um, you do obviously need to have human intelligence. You need to have people um, very, very high up who are willing to turn on the government which has supported them. And one of the problems with uh, technological intelligence is it has the ability to monitor basically every phone call, um, every email, every uh, communication you could possibly imagine. We actually have, believe it or not, dragonfly drones. You, you think it's a dragonfly. It's actually gathering intelligence. They've got nanotechnology bugs. You think it's a bug on the wall. It's actually, it's a bug all right, but it's not an insect. It's gathering intelligence. But one of the problems with all of these gadgets is the more intel that is gathered, the more difficult it is to assimilate all of that intel into a larger picture. Um, and, and, and then if you're going to be gathering however many bits of intelligence as you possibly can, the ability to find context for those little bits of intelligence becomes increasingly more difficult the more intel there is. And if you even have a home security system, uh, you could have a four-camera home security system. And trust me, after about an hour of looking at those tapes, your mind wanders, things get a little bit blurry. So if you could just multiply that by several million times, you'll understand, and I think you already do, that gathering intelligence is one thing, being able to coordinate and categorize the intelligence and then act upon intelligence that is actionable um, are several different things and I this sounds like something that is of interest to you it certainly is of interest uh, to me and uh, I can't wait to continue our conversation uh, on this now I, I think it was David Bellavia who mentioned that there are people within the Israeli Intel community who are not big fans of Netanyahu 
And quite frankly, it would not surprise me to see people in any intelligence organization uh, who are not 100% loyal to their commander-in-chief. And look, I hope you'll forgive me putting my tinfoil hat on and my conspiracy uh, theory hat on, but uh, I am one of those uh, crazy people who believes that during the Cuban Missile Crisis of October 1962, I think people in our military, such as Curtis LeMay, who is a bona fide World War II hero, um, I do... I do think that the Joint Chiefs of Staff were trying to get us drawn into a war so they could go into Cuba and invade it right that time instead of the Bay of Pigs fiasco for which Kennedy took uh, responsibility, even though it was uh, Lemnitzer and Alan Dulles who, at the end of the day, said, all you got to do is sign in the dotted line and our Cuban brigade will take care of the rest. Uh, but uh, hold on, there's a lot to talk about with this stuff. And, you know, folks, it's, it's fascinating to me how relevant history becomes in the current era so when you want to know why people like david and myself read so much and watch so much about history it's because it does tend to repeat itself and you can learn from history